Swim check one, two. Bike check one, two. Run check one, two. I think we're ready. Let's try this. Welcome to the Try Beginner's Luck podcast, a podcast where we explore the sport of triathlon from a variety of perspectives to help beginner triathletes on their journey. I am your host, Nishonda Shines. OMG, today is the day that I get to talk to Jason Bahamundi. Ooh, it just makes you want to do a dance, Jason Bahamundi. Woo. I am so grateful to talk to Jason today. Um, there's certain moments and there's certain times in your life where you come into a season where you are scared. You don't know what's next. And I have a very good friend who is so wise in what she does and always has a great saying. And she says, it's okay to be afraid, but it's not okay to keep yourself from doing it because of fear. And uh, the great Martin Luther King says, if you can't fly, run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. But whatever you do, keep moving forward. And so in triathlons, we try to move forward because we do it and we do it scared sometimes. We go through different life transitions and no matter what, we try. So here with Try Beginner's Luck, I am so excited to talk to various athletes, race directors, announcers, people from all different areas and aspects of this sport to get a different perspective so that we can help beginners. And let's just be really, really clear. I've been in this sport for almost seven years and I still feel like a beginner. Does anyone else out there feel like a beginner sometimes too when you've been doing something for so long? And so technically this is for everybody, but specifically those who are first starting out. But if we approach this sport as if we are beginners, then we will always have beginner's luck. With that, I wanna welcome in Mr. Jason Bahamundi. Let's do a dance and welcome in Jason. Hi, Jason. Hello, how are you? Man, what I am good. Just dropping everything, you know you know, dropping my phone because I don't need it, but I'm excited. <laughs> so that's a good thing as I was doing my dance. There you go. Well, Jason, I am so excited to have you with me today and uh, to have you on this podcast. It seems that we have some similarities and I'm just going to jump right in. Tell me what it is about triathlons that attracts you to that attracted you to them and why you want to help other triathletes. That's a really good question. So I've been in this sport for 14 years. So twice as long as you've been involved in this sport. And uh, I would say it's about overcoming, right? We're going to face obstacles and challenges throughout our lives, you know, from teenagers growing up to going to college, to first jobs, to in my particular case, just recently starting a new business, we're always going to have obstacles. So triathlon has taught me how to overcome. It's taught me that it's not linear. It's taught me that, you know, it's two steps forward, one step back, sometimes two steps forward, three steps back, but always trying to figure out how to solve the problem and finding the finish line, wherever that finish line may be. That's good. So <clears throat> you, you said that you started a business. Tell me about that. I did. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to steal your line in that our, our business and our focus is also on beginner athletes and also on showcasing all of the sports that we love and providing them with insight into swimming, cycling, running, and sometimes doing all three in a race. Uh, the business is called Run, Try, Bike. We are a multimedia platform that includes a print magazine that includes a website and social media. And um, yeah, so we print bi-monthly. We just sent out our second issue. We started in January. So we're literally four months old as of today. Um, so it's a bit frightening but super exciting all at the same time. What I love about the magazine after having an opportunity to kind of go on and look at some of the different articles, you really have every aspect of triathlons from the coaching tips to nutrition, to breaking down cycling. <laughs> One of the things that I thought was quite hilarious was the different types of ways that you can do bike handling skills. And mm -hmm. I had never thought about breaking down bike handling skills in that way where you literally practice going slow so that you can balance on the, um, on the bike. Tell me why is your focus beginners? And let's get into a little bit of biking. For whatever reason, I feel like biking is where your strong suit is. Technically, I know it's running, but just go with me. <laughs> 
flow with me here. <laughs> just, just, just flow with me. Um, and let's talk about some of these bike handling skills. Absolutely. So, I mean, we all started somewhere and we actually have a feature in our magazine and on our site called How It All Started. And it's about telling stories of the everyday Janes and Joes and, and what they uh, got involved with when they got involved with all of the sports that we're involved in. Right. And at the time that I got involved in triathlon, was 2010, 2009. And I had no idea about anything, literally zero idea about anything to the point that I would go to Gold's gym to swim and I'd swim 25, 50 meters, a hundred meters and call it a day. Be like, I'm good. I swam a hundred meters. Look at me. I'm a champion, right? Mark Spitz, here I come challenging you. And when I got into the pool, it was uh, at Grapevine in Grapevine, Texas, my very first sprint triathlon. I am not kidding you. When I swam about 50 meters of that swim, which was 250 meters and started walking, I'm like, I am done with this sport. Like this is bananas. Why are we doing this? This is crazy. Wow. Managed to continue swimming, got out of the pool and, you know, go through the transition of cycling thing. And as it turned out, fell in love just absolutely fell in love with the sport. And um, had I had the resources that we're providing to beginner athletes today, maybe I would have swam more than 100 meters at a time, more than once a month for a race. Maybe. Um, I still don't swim a lot today, but don't tell any of the coaches. Um, Listen, I won't tell your secret <laughs> if you won't tell mine. But yeah, so we, so that's, that was the big um, impetus for us to, to get this business started. When I say us, um, I have a partner, pro triathlete, Angela Nath, who co-owns the business with me. And so our, our vision and mission is to help beginner athletes. But then we also want to bring a spotlight and a focus to women. Um, so you'll see in all of our printed pages that every article and story is written by a female. Um, we also have a focus on people of color, on physically challenged and disabled athletes and the LGBTQ plus athletes, um, providing them a platform to tell their stories so that they can inspire and motivate um, people that look like them and, and ask themselves, can I do this? And if we can show examples of other people doing it, then they'll say to themselves, we can do this too. Absolutely. And thank you for paving the way. Um, to your point, I think it's so important for athletes to have an outlet so that they can know that they can do it or have a representative that looks like them, right? Because I was on the phone with a young lady who I went to college with. She was the uh, vice president of our student body and I happened to be on their cabinet at the time. And somehow I found out she was doing her first triathlon. And she was like, yeah, I decided because I haven't seen anybody that looked like me. And I'm scratching my head like, um, it is 2021 and you haven't seen anybody in your circle of friends do a triathlon. And that is a problem. And so thank you for being a solution. And I am excited to get into your magazine. I am subscribing and I encourage each of you who are listening to this to subscribe as well. And you can do that at run. It's runtrymag.com. That's runtrymag.com. But let's get into these bike handling drills because I think that's important. And when you're riding a bike, if you're like me and you thought, oh, I can ride a bike, I can easily transition into triathlon. You're kidding yourself and you're joking yourself. Okay. <laughs> so I just want you to know it's not like riding your 10 speed bike when you were 10. Okay. It is no. much more intricate and it's a lot more details that people don't share. And okay, maybe it's just me and I have a lot of um, judgments. So if you want to judge me, fine, it's okay. But I do have judgments, especially when it comes to cyclists, because they are. Most cyclists aren't very nice and they don't want to really share secrets because it's like you're just supposed to learn by osmosis. And I don't think that that's fair. So when I started biking, I didn't even have a road bike. So a friend let me borrow their bike and she had clips on them. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with these things? Like to clip in, I'm just trying to remember how to ride a bike, number one. So let's get over riding a bike, but then I have to clip in. And now I have to worry about bike handling skills. Yo, that's a lot to think about when you're just trying to get to the finish line or just trying to ride a bike. Now I got to balance. That means I got to make sure that my abs are right. It's just a lot. People don't realize triathletes are like part human, part super um, supernatural, right? Because we do some phenomenal things, but let's get into this um, bike handling skills. So I'm a newbie and I don't know about 
bike handling. I just have a 10 speed bike. What would you tell me, Jason, to get started in the world of triathlon? And that's a great question. Um, honestly, I would start by setting up a trainer in your house and getting comfortable on the bike in and of itself before taking out on the road, understanding position, you know, where you're placing your hands, um, which leads to bike fit, right? You know, I hear people all the time say, I was so uncomfortable on this ride. My back hurt, my hamstrings hurt, my hands hurt. And having finished eight Ironman races, um, I have not once gotten off the bike and, and thought to myself, oh, my back is sore and my legs are cramping and sore. Yes, you're tired, you're exhausted, but because I had a proper bike fit, I didn't have those additional ailments that would come from not being properly fit. So get on the bike, find out where you're uncomfortable, where those pain points are, then go get a bike fit before you even get on the road, right? Then I would also try to search for a club in the area that welcomes beginners. Because to your point, there are some clubs out there that are type A and they will have drop rides. So you could be 15 miles into the ride and then not see another cyclist anywhere and be lost. And that is an uncomfortable feeling um, and one that, that will help deter you from staying in the sport. So find a club that's local to you, that is welcoming to beginners. Don't be afraid to advocate for yourself. Hey, I'm brand new to the sport. I don't know what I'm doing. Do you have groups and clubs and members that will help stay back with me so that I can learn and get better? Advocate for yourself. And then just go out there and start doing it because um, there is no replacement for experience. There just isn't. So let me ask you a personal question and I do not want you to tell me a false truth. Notice I didn't say lie there. I said false truth, okay? Okay. When you first learned how to ride your, we'll say road bike. It was. What was the hardest thing you remembered having to learn about riding your tri bike or road bike? Unclipping, unclipping, right? You're getting close to the end of the ride. And the idea of twisting your foot to get your shoe out of the pedal is not something you did as a kid, to your point, right? You got on, you got on your 10 speed, you got on your Huffy, you got on your BMX, you had the card flapping in the spokes and you were on flat pedals with sneakers, right? And the brake, you pushed backwards on the pedals and you put your feet down. That was it. That was the whole end of it, right? Now you have to twist your foot to get out and the, which foot am I going to twist out to put down? What's my dominant side? And that was frightening. Oh my goodness, was that frightening? Because you'd see the stop sign or the stoplight and you'd start to tense up and, and riding a bike tense is not safe. It's just not. And, you know, all of a sudden it was, what do I do? How do I do it? When do I do it? So, you know, you start breaking, you know, a good 500 feet before the stop sign to just figure out, okay, I'm going to put my foot down here. So, I mean, honestly, that was the hardest thing for me to understand, comprehend, practice, and then execute. What you left out was the falls. See, you, you, <laughs> you didn't tell me the full truth, Jason. And I have a problem with that because you should have said, and uh, while practicing clipping in and clipping out, I had plenty of times of having my face meet the, the pavement. Or Yeah, but see, I did. it's not a false truth because I didn't fall during those times. It was when I was literally standing still and waiting to get started that my balance got tipped and I wound up on the pavement. So it wasn't during the actual stopping. It was literally being stopped and then falling over. That is the worst. And then people are like, well, what happened? And you're, <laughs> yeah. you're like, mm, just, just keep moving. <laughs> I just don't know how to uh, stand still and be balanced. That <laughs> That's is the right. worst. I, um, excuse me, to your point, I learned how to clip in and clip out maybe three weeks before my first race. And uh, in Washington, D.C., they have this circular park called Haynes Point. And in Haynes Point, that was my introduction into clipping in and clipping out. And I'll never forget to your point, standing still. And I'm like, yeah, I got this. I stop, stand still. And the next thing you know, it's like, whoa. <laughs> and it's in slow motion. And you're like, no one can help you because your foot is still <laughs> clipped in. And it's like, bam. And I feel like that is your rites of passage into being a triathlete and or exactly a cyclist. Right. And if you have not had that epic fall where you're just trying to stand still and balance or clipping in or clipping out 
then you may want to rethink some things and I may need to talk <laughs> to you because I need to find out what your secret is. But that is a huge thing. And it's like your fear of falling has to go out the door because, yep. you know, it's a part of the process. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you ever have thoughts? And this could just be me. You envision yourself getting to that stoplight. You stop and you're clipped one foot in, one foot out and you can't move and you slip down onto the crossbar and you can't get yourself back up to come through the, the red light quick enough or fast enough. Has that ever crossed your mind? Or is that just in my thoughts every time that I clip out and I'm like, oh, I hope I don't mess up my lady bits. You know, like it's one of those <laughs> things where I'm like, oh, I have those thoughts. And, you know, sometimes what you think about, it expands and it kind of happens. And I'm like, oh, but I don't want it to, but I'm just trying to like figure it all out. Do you ever have any thoughts like that? Yeah. And, and it all depends on at what point in the ride I'm at. So if it's late in the ride, I am braking because I want that light to be red so that I could stop, put my foot down, take a sip of water, take a breath, relax for, you know, 90 to, seconds to 120 seconds before I need to start up again. If we're at the beginning of the ride and you're full of, you know, energy and you're like, man, we're going to hammer through this and get through this light really fast and you've clipped out and then it's like, oh my God, I can't get my foot back in. What's going to happen next? So I've absolutely been there um, more times than not. I would love for you to talk about being clipped in and how it is a better ride for, you know, athletes and it's so specifically for beginner triathletes or beginner cyclists or anybody who's just beginning. I think I was asking you to talk about the importance of clipping in and yep. clipping out and how it's a better ride and to encourage beginners to not be afraid to clip in and clip out. So can you speak to that point and to give some, you know, some of our listeners some encouragement as it relates to clipping in and clipping out? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as a beginner athlete, you're probably not going to know what watts per kilogram is or what power is, and it, and it may mean nothing to you. But the reality is when you are clipped into your bike, you are going to generate more power, more power equals speed, um, and it makes for a more efficient ride. Whereas if you are using platform pedals, like when you were a kid, right, there's only but so much effort that you can give on the downstroke and no effort on the upstroke of the pedal. And so you're losing that power. Whereas when you're clipped in, you, you've got power all throughout the rotation of um, the pedal stroke. And that's going to make for a much more efficient ride. So don't be afraid to do it. I will say it again, get yourself a trainer, get yourself set up on the trainer, practice clipping in and pedaling um, in a safe environment, which would be inside your house um, where there's no traffic, stoplights or stop signs. Um, and get a feel for the energy distribution and return on that pedal stroke while you're in a safe environment. It's just the best way to go. I would agree. And I will say when you fall in your house, at least no one has <laughs> to see you. <laughs> Which I've done, by the way. I have, I have had the bike pop off the trainer. And it's scary. It is scary when it happens. It is so frightening. And I was like, what is happening? And I'm so grateful that I had my sofa there to catch me because if not, it would have been a man down situation. You know, people are probably listening to this like, no, that doesn't really happen. No, it does. And if, if oh, Jason does. just told you and I am telling you, it is a real thing. You when you are literally um, when you sign up for the world of triathlon, you are truly signing up for anything can happen. And the things mm -hmm. that you think are the least expected to happen, oh, don't think they won't happen. Or you may invent something new and you'd be like, what, how could this happen? Just be expected and just know That's that right. you'll get over it. And it makes you a better person. It makes you a better athlete, a better problem solver to that. Because I want to talk about your first triathlon experience, because I think <laughs> your story is quite interesting and I want to highlight some points. So tell us about your first triathlon experience. So I had just moved to Texas from New York. So it's a whole different world down here. And one of the first things that uh, I did was actually join a co-ed, basically beer league softball team, right? And on that team, there were two of my teammates said, hey, we're going to do this triathlon and maybe you should join us. And I'm an athlete, right? Hey, I played high school football. I played all the co-ed teams in, in 
or co-rec teams in college. I am an athlete. Sign me up. So I signed up about a month and a half after that registration. I asked them, so are you guys training? Like, what are you doing? Are you swimming? And they're like, oh, we didn't register. So here I am now on my own. And like I said earlier, swimming, honestly, if I was in the water for five minutes a month, five minutes a week, I, I'm probably overestimating. Um, I had been a runner or have been a runner. So I, I wasn't worried about that. And I would ride my bike literally for about 30 minutes thinking I'm an athlete. I can do this. Not a problem. Well, somewhere along the way, as I mentioned, the swim that was 250 meters became probably a hundred meters of walking in the pool. Thank goodness. It was a four foot pool. So I could touch the bottom. Um, as athletes are swimming past me, I am ready to quit. As soon as I get out of the water, I'm like, this is nonsense. Who does this stuff? And why, why would you now go want to do two other sports? Um, I managed to get on my bike and at this race, when you leave the transition area and you get past the mountain line, you are immediately on a downhill and it was awesome. The wind in your face, the speed, the feel of it, the adrenaline kicks in. You forget about the last, you know, however long it took you to swim and transition out. And I just absolutely loved it. Um, and then when we got to the run, it was, uh, I think it was a 5k run and I just absolutely loved doing it and kind of feeling the jello legs for the first time from the bike to the run. And it was a sensation I'd never experienced before. And before you know it, you know, your legs are, are coming into form and you're moving, um, and in a sprint, right. It's over before you know it. And so when I crossed the finish line, a triathlete was born right? I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. This is a great sport. And I can't wait to do the next one and the one after that and, and see what comes next. When I crossed the finish line, a triathlete <clears throat> was born. Hashtag Mashonda Shines is stealing that. Hashtag thank you for that tagline. Hashtag <laughs> that was amazing. When I crossed the finish line, a triathlete was born. How many of us is that our story? Whether your first triathlon was horrible and you were in pain, like myself, I was like, but I still love this experience. That's great, Jason. But I, I picked up some things on in this story that uh, we just have to point out. Mm -hmm. Your friends, what about your friends? Your friends were trife. Oh my goodness, yes. Although one of them has gone on to compete at Ironman distance races. So kudos to her for doing that. The other one, on the other hand, not so much. <laughs> hey, the fact that they left you hanging and put you in a position that kind of helped change the trajectory of your destiny. I mean, I won't be too mad at them, but I am a little upset with them because listen, you got me out here. I had never, from what I heard in your story, you had only swam uh, 100 meters each time you went into the pool. So that's literally four lengths of the pool. And if you're doing 750 meter, if it's a sprint, Okay, my math may not be good, but that's a lot of laps, you know, over 10. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so don't judge me for my math skills out there, people. Do not judge me for my math skills. And then it sounds like you did not do a brick. So your first brick was your first triathlon. <laughs> no, that's absurd. That? What? Who are these friends? But look, I guess they are really good friends because they set you up for success because now you're out here and you're helping people to do triathlons and so that they can be successful. So thank you, Shady Friends, for setting Jason up for true success, okay? And don't forget, because I didn't participate, I was two rows higher on the, on the success level there, right? There was at least two people that didn't compete that would have probably finished ahead of me, so. Bam, there it is. <laughs> and it's all about the little things. You know, some people are all about podium finishes, right? And I commend those people. And then some people are just, thank you, Lord, I crossed the finish line. <laughs> Thank you. I finished. Wow. So your legs felt like jello, but you still survived the run. Let's talk about that because your first brick ever was doing your first triathlon. How did That's you right. move past that jello feeling? Uh, slowly. <laughs> Is that a good enough answer? <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, honestly, it. <laughs> It was like, it was, it was a, it was an out of body experience, right? Cause you know, your legs are attached to you and your mind can feel them, but they're not moving at the speed and the pace that your mind is telling them to go. 
until after, you know, they finally, the blood gets in there and you start to realize, okay, I am running um, and probably running a little too fast since you can't necessarily feel them. Right. Right. Um, but then once they came around and, and um, you start to connect your brain to your legs in that situation, you're like, okay, it's just running. You know, the, I've done this before. I can do this again. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I, I, I would have to agree with you with that. Uh, and especially as you move forward, you probably develop training plans or got with coaches, good coaches like um, shout out to No Limit Endurance. But, you know, we're just going to throw them out there because they probably helped you get to, you know, where you are today. But um, what I find also interesting uh, to the point of your that being your first brick was that you did a pool swim. And there are not many pool triathlon swims, but I think that's also a good way for a triathlete who may not be as comfortable swimming in the water to swim their first um, triathlon versus being in open water. Can you talk to me about the differences? Because technically you have two first. You have a first triathlon pool swim and your first triathlon open door swim. Can you talk about the difference between the two and which one you would prefer over the other? The biggest difference, sighting. You don't have to sight in the pool swim. You know where the other end is. It's right there in front of you, right? And so you don't have to necessarily worry about looking for, for buoys out in the water. Um, I would recommend that beginners get started in the pool, get comfortable in that, unless they are a swimmer from their past and, and they've been open water swimming for ages and that's not a problem. Um, as a, a kid growing up in New York and in and around New York City, right? Uh, going to Jones Beach is not exactly the same way as open water swimming in a race when you've got in an Ironman, a thousand to 2000 other people around you. It's just a totally different experience. That being said, um, I do enjoy open water swimming. Um, there's a freedom to it, similar to the freedom of riding a bike um, where you're not confined by the lanes. You are amongst other athletes. Um, you learn how to draft in an open water swim scenario. Um, finding those bubbles is, is key to it all. Um, when you get to the buoy, right, you know you've accomplished in, in most instances 100 meters. And so then you just swim to the next buoy and then you just swim to the next buoy and you break down the, the race that way. And so um, I enjoy open water swimming. As, you know, here in Texas, we swim almost every Friday or had been swimming every Friday prior to COVID um, for at least a mile each day, each Friday. And that's a great practice. You're around 10 to 12 other athletes and it's just an opportunity to, to practice that open water swimming and, and getting comfortable in water that like that is uh, where you can't see the bottom. Yeah. Um, so to your point of practicing open water swimming, that is a luxury for you in Texas. And it I just want to say is. that that is a huge luxury. Whereas, you know, most people, if they are, if they aren't around a body of water, it's very difficult for them to mm -hmm. get uh, in that open water swimming. And they may only be able to get it maybe once a season uh, in some places. So I think that's really a great luxury that you are afforded. And I want to know if you've ever had, if you've ever been kicked in the face in a race and how did you handle that in open water swimming? Because like you said, in the pool, you can see the lane, you don't have to sight, but when you're out there open water swimming for the first time and you getting kicked and your goggles hitting your face and you, what is that feeling? And how did you overcome that and wanting to get back out there and try open water swimming again? It's a shock. The first time you get kicked, it's a shock because you have no idea what just happened. Um, so like everything else, you take a moment to compose yourself and realize that it's not the end of the world, that you are able to fix your goggles, get adjusted um, and calm yourself down, right? Because the adrenaline is going to kick in and go really high in that moment. So take a moment to take a few deep breaths calm yourself down, adjust your goggles, get them situated um, again on your face so that they're not leaking. Um, because here's the thing, if you rush just like anything else in life, there's a good chance you're going to fail again. And so if you start rushing after you getting, after getting kicked in the face or any kicked anywhere, 
you know, getting kicked in the ribs or anywhere else or having, you know, even having a, a swimmer behind you tap your foot can be a little disorienting. Um, compose yourself, take a moment, right? If we're talking about an Ironman distance event or even a half Ironman distance event, these things take hours to finish. If you take 15 to 30 seconds to compose yourself, you're not really causing a big issue at the end of your race, right? So if you were going to finish in six hours and you finish in six hours and 15 seconds, but you've composed yourself, you've been able to reorient yourself in the water, not a big deal. Again, these things take hours to finish. Taking 30 seconds to a minute to compose yourself will save you even more time in the long run. Wow, that's really good advice. And I'm going to say that again, for those of you who didn't hear that, that's really good advice. You know, composure is everything in this sport. We don't do triathlons um, without having to endure. And endure, endurance is like a root word, right? So when you're enduring endurance, you have to have patience. And so patience and composure helps you to endure so that you can do this endurance sport. So I think that's a word of wisdom for those of you who are out there competing in your first triathlon, or maybe you've been doing it for a couple of years and you're one of those who are always frantic, calm down. It's okay. Calm down. You may actually, uh, to your point, uh, Jason, veer off a little bit better if you take that time to compose yourself, get your breathing under control, and then you can move forward. So I uh, am a huge component of calming down. Now, do I do it in a race? <clears throat> well, to be <laughs> determined. And well, you know, who, you know, who knows? But that's why we're here. We're here to learn and to get better. And each opportunity we get out there to try, we do something different to get us closer to our goal line. Again, I go back to that statement you said at the beginning, you found your finish line, you crossed the finish line and a triathlete was born. And since then you've done eight full Ironmans. Let's talk about that. <laughs> and let's talk about your first Ironman training experience and come across the finish line and perhaps hearing it said, Jason Bahamundi you are an Ironman. How did that feel? I asked you probably four questions in that one. So, you know, just take them at your leisure. <laughs> no worries. So the first Ironman I did was Ironman Texas, which was in May of 2012. And um, that was an experience. So for people who are listening and don't know, you swim in Lake Woodlands, which is not the cleanest body of water. And they actually even uh, let you know that when you get into the canal, it'll be about six foot deep and you should not stand up because there is rebar and all kinds of stuff from the construction of the lake in there. So you need to be careful. But anyway, so that race had wetsuit and non-wetsuit starts. And I started without a wetsuit. Um, the water was warm and... Uh, probably the, probably one of the worst decisions I made that day. Um, because one, I was not going to be anywhere near a Kona podium. So why not wear the wetsuit Two, despite the five or 10 minute head start, I don't even remember, um, ahead of the wetsuit athletes, they catch up to you really fast in a wetsuit and they swim right over you. Like as if you don't exist. And so we talked about getting kicked in the face and things like that. Well, I just basically got run over by every athlete in a wetsuit on the way uh, to the finish line of that swim section. Um, fortunately for me, the bike at Ironman Texas, when I did it the two times, is not what it is today. So we actually got to ride beautiful country roads and really, truly enjoyed being out in um, the... I guess, suburbs of the Houston area in the woodlands. And it was gorgeous. And then I would say the run at Ironman Texas is one of the best from a spectator friendly perspective. Um, there are people all along the canal. There are people in the neighborhoods. There are people everywhere. And so you feed off the energy. It's amazing. What I will tell you when I saw my first Ironman, which has not left my memory, is that there's more than one way to skin a cat. As I was running through the uh, run uh, special needs bag area, 
I saw a dude pull out a Whopper. And I just thought, how are you going to eat this and run as fast as you can? But you know what? He ate it as he was walking. And as soon as he was finished, he was gone and ran. So um, do what you need to do to take care of yourself in these situations. Um, But at Ironman, Texas, you um, lap around the canal and you come up a hill towards the finish. And there are lights everywhere. And the huge finish line banner is there. And I had the good fortune of having Mike Riley announce that race um, because the year I did, it was only the second uh, time it had been raced there. And so you have all these spectators lined up along the finish line route, banging on the boards and yelling and carrying on. And it makes you feel like you're about to win a gold medal in the Olympics. I mean, it's just unbelievable. You hit that red carpet, the lights are shining, and he announces it, like you said, Jason Bahamundi, you are an Ironman. And people can search um, my name. You'll see a picture of me jumping as high as I possibly can as I'm about to cross the finish line because the euphoria just took over, right? It was just an unbelievable experience to have trained for all those months, to have fought through the swim, to have ridden my bike for 112 miles to have run a marathon after that. Um, it, it was just absolutely amazing beyond my wildest expectations. Wow. Wow. And you've done eight more since. Can you name all eight of your Iron Man finishes? Of course. Iron Man, Texas, Iron Man, Arizona, Iron Man, Texas, Iron Man, Chattanooga, Iron Man, excuse me, Iron Man, Texas, Iron Man, Florida. Ironman Chattanooga. So that's what six Ironman Maryland, Ironman Chattanooga again. So that should be all eight. And then I did DNF at Ironman Wisconsin in 2019. I think it was 2019. Hmm. DNF. What does DNF Mm -hmm. mean? Did not finish. First DNF was at a uh, 69 mile foot race called Possum's Revenge. And I finished 34 and a half miles. So I did one loop and I was like, I am not doing this. I'm not going back out there. Uh uh-uh. uh. And I cried. I absolutely cried. It was devastating. Wow. Um, but my Ironman Wisconsin DNF wasn't as devastating. So um, it hurt. Don't get me wrong. It hurt, but it wasn't as devastating as it could have been. Well, and I have a reason why. Let's find out that reason. Why, why wasn't it devastating? If you don't mind sharing, because I could be so, Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So earlier that year, I had the very good fortune of having the opportunity to race Western States 100. And that became the A race. And so I poured everything I had into that. And trying to balance training for a 100 mile race and an Ironman the way I was trying to do it at the time was just not going to work. And I will never forget telling uh, my massage therapist with about three weeks to go before Ironman Wisconsin, I can't wait for this to all be over. And I've never said that leading up to a race, never. But I was burnt out. I was absolutely burnt out. And so when we got to Wisconsin, we did the practice swim the day before. The water was gorgeous. The weather was perfect. I mean, it looked like you could ice skate on uh, the lake. The next day when we got out there, man, I could see the white caps on that lake. And I just thought, whoo, this going to be rough. I swam about 25% of the race. And it took me nearly 30 minutes to do that because I just was not into it. I could feel my heart racing. And I thought to myself, this is not fun anymore. This is going to take me nearly two hours to finish this swim Then I'm going to have to get on the bike for a very difficult bike ride and then run a marathon. This ain't fun. So I waved my hand. Jet ski came over and they asked me, are you sure you want to pull yourself out? And I said, am I sure? You better reach out and pull me out of this water right now because I am thrilled to be getting out of here. And so they pulled me up onto the jet ski. And I will never forget this either. The lady that was on the jet ski, I think she was a medic. She goes, pardon me, but I'm going to have to put my hands around your waist to make sure we're safe. And I remember saying to her, you can put your hands anywhere you want. So long as you get me to that dock, I can get out of these wet clothes and this race is over. 
And so when we got to the dock, um, I pulled, you know, I got out, sat on the bench because they want to check your vitals and make sure you're okay and everything else. And they were pulling athlete after athlete after athlete out of the water. And I felt it was my responsibility in that moment to calm them down, to talk to them about the DNF and to talk to them sort of off the ledge, shall we say. Um, and so it became less about me in that moment and more about helping the other athletes that were getting pulled out. Look, I've crossed eight finish lines. There will be a ninth. I'm sure there will be a 10th at some point, right? Some of these people were getting pulled out of the water in their very first Ironman, right? So they've poured everything they have for months and months and months, if not a year into training, and they're getting, and they're pulling themselves out, which had to have been a very difficult decision for them to make. And so I just felt it was my responsibility to sit there and sort of mentor them and let them know that this isn't the end of the world. It's hard. It's difficult to process. I got it. I understand it. But understand one thing. You're safe and you can do this another time. It's okay. And um, with that, I went and cheered on my friends and had a blast. I was no longer under the pressure of finishing the race. I was no longer under the pressure of time or anything else. And let me tell you, I laughed and I ate pizza and I rang the cowbell and I clapped and I cheered and I hooted and I hollered. And we were there all night long and I had a blast. Wow. Um, I think that's such a great story. And there's so much that I can pull out of this. And I hope that we have some time to get to it because I think you hit on some very key points that I believe a beginning triathlete and even advanced triathletes should know your training schedule and your race calendar for the year need to have some synchronicity, right? And there is, uh, you have your, like you said, uh, your 100 miler was your A race. You have your B races and your C races, right? And your A race, you did it and you conquered it. And Wisconsin was just, hmm, it was there. You know, you've already done eight at this point. So this would have been a ninth, but it wasn't as if it would have been heartbreaking. However, I want to talk about the dangers of overtraining. And that sounds like what had happened. <laughs> that sounds like what happened to you is you got into this point where you've poured everything into this 100 mile race. And now you're here and you are exhausted. Let's talk about overtraining and the dangers of overtraining. Yeah. So for five years prior to that year, my schedule was set up perfectly to do a hundred mile race and an Ironman. So the way I had always set it up was that I was racing a hundred mile race in February. And then sometime in October or excuse me, September, early October, I would do my Ironman, right? So if I finished my Ironman at the big, at, let's say at the end of September, that gave me October, November, December, and January to be prepared for the hundred mile race. Now, because it's a hundred mile race, you're really more focused on endurance than you are speed. So that I don't need to have four months of training. I can take a month off, get three months of training in and be able to perform at the hundred mile race. Then if you have February, you have basically all of February because the races were at the beginning. You have all of February, March, April, May, June, July, August, and September before you race. So again, another eight months. So I could take two months off from training specifically for an Ironman and still have enough time to prepare myself to get in those long bike rides, to get in the long runs, to get in those long swims. And so it always shaped up perfectly for that. That year in 2019, I raced a hundred miler in February. I raced a hundred miler again in July. And so the idea that I would be able to then have basically August and September to get ready for a race at the beginning of October or at the end of September in Wisconsin was pie in the sky dreaming, right? Pie in the sky dreaming that I'd be able to balance the two, right? I should be running 20 miles. Instead, I'm riding 60 miles or running 20 miles. I'm riding 60 miles. It's not the same in that scenario, right? So I'm, I'm giving up one for the other at that moment. And so it just became very difficult. And then it just became mental and the idea of, I don't want to ride 80 miles. I don't want to ride a hundred miles. Like I just don't want to do it. Um, and so those should have been keys for me to say, maybe you don't go into this race, maybe, you know, DNS versus DNF. Um, and either way would have been fine. Right. 
Um, but you can easily find yourself in the point of burnout if all you're doing is racing, 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 racing. You need the opportunity and the time to recover from those races, um, take lessons from those races. If you have a coach, chat with them about what transpired during the race so that they can adjust your training for the next race. Um, but you can easily find yourself in a burnout situation if, if you're just going from one race to the next, to the next, to the next, without any real clear uh, goal for those races. If everything becomes an A race, then you're going to burn out. I mean, that's almost guaranteed in that scenario. Um, so yeah, I, I would just look, we're, we're, we aren't pros, right? We don't have all the time in the world to sleep and nap and have meals made for us. We've got jobs, we've got families, we've got responsibilities, um, and it's a hard thing to balance. Um, and so you don't want to forsake responsibilities to have to go out and train and then find out that you don't enjoy the training anymore. That's a, and that's sometimes that's a tough pill to swallow, but realize that these are our hobbies. These are our activities and it's okay to take a step back. Um, one of my favorite accounts to follow is called rest day brags. I love it. People are like, yeah, you know what I did today? I ate chocolate and put my feet up and watched Netflix. Good for you. You need to do that. Enjoy the time away from training. Because otherwise, you'll find yourself burnt out and then quitting the sport instead of having longevity in the sport. I agree. And I want to go back to what you said, just for those listeners who may not understand. DNF is did not finish and DNS is did not start. And there is a difference between the two. So just for point of clarity. And two, if you aren't enjoying, to Jason's point, the training and any aspect of it, this race and doing triathlon, especially when you get to the Ironman level, it is mental. I would say after the sprint, it, it becomes mental because even during an Olympic, you, you have to turn on a different mental switch. And if you aren't mentally in the game, get out because you're going to end up hurting yourself. And to your point, you're going to end up hating the sport. And honestly, this is a lifelong sport that you can do forever and you can do it forever and have fun with it. And that's the part of this sport that we want to bring out is that this is a fun sport and the people make up this great sport. You want to be able to enjoy it. And it should be fun, even though in the moment it doesn't feel good at the end, when you cross the finish line, that's when it gets really good. And sometimes we go through our life, we go through life. And just because in that one particular moment of your training, it's not the best moment, it doesn't mean it discounts all the rest of the moments. So I just highly uh, admonish each of you who are listening and or this, it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to experience discomfort, but push through that, but still have fun. And if your body is telling you something different, if you're overtraining, back up, go eat some chocolate, watch some Netflix, relax, chill, take a day or two off. If you have a coach, talk to your coach about, let's strategize and then get back in the game. It really is about wrapping your mind around the long game. And how do you see this in the long run? Go ahead, Jason. I'd also, I'd also like to add something about the whole fun thing, right? Um, Iron Man isn't the pinnacle for everybody. It's not. Some, some folks really enjoy the sprint distance and the Olympic distance, and that's okay. You don't have to race an Iron Man or a half Iron Man to call yourself a triathlete. You just don't. Um, I prefer long course, right? I am more of a candle than I am a match. Like I don't enjoy sprints and Olympics. They hurt. They hurt me. So give me the long course stuff. Let me go out, you know, six to 12 hours on a, in a triathlon and I'm thrilled to pieces. But if you enjoy sprints, don't let anybody convince you that you have to do an Ironman if you don't think you're going to enjoy it. Enjoy the sprint distance. Enjoy the Olympic distance. Go do a, a swim run. Like we have so many different opportunities in these sports to enjoy ourselves. Don't peg your happiness to somebody else's goals. I wish I could drop my mic, but it's on a stand. But just know I'm <laughs> dropping the mic. Can you hear that sound? That's me dropping the mic. <laughs> That's real. I think that is one of the realest, well, 
that would discredit everything else you said. That is a very real statement. And I'm glad that you pointed that out because everyone isn't going to do an Ironman. Everyone doesn't even have the desire to do an Ironman. The fact that you got out there and you did a sprint, you try, heck, that's the battle. It's getting out there and trying the three distances at any length. And you have to find what you're, if this doesn't bring you joy and if it doesn't bring you fun, stop it. I mean, I don't want you to stop because I always want you to try, but hey, if it doesn't bring you joy, don't do it. However, if you're listening to this podcast, we know it's going to bring you joy and you're going to write into us and tell us about how much fun you're going to have. And then you're going to come on the podcast and tell us how much fun you're going to have. And we're going to keep this party going. So Jason, as we keep this party going, you did a triathlon and there were some things that you wished you would have known. And I hope you can remember what you wrote to me and our pre-production questions, because I think that's <laughs> You know, you made me answer those questions after I had finished a 257 mile foot race, right? So oh, we're, we're going to get to that too. Don't worry. <laughs> we're we're going to get to that. I, and I, we're, I'm going to ask you to tease me my answers. I'm going to ask you to tease me my answers. Okay, fine. <laughs> I, I, I'll give you your answers. So what I asked was, what is one thing you wish you would have known about triathlons that would have helped you in the beginning? And you said, and I'm going to say it in Jason's voice. I wished I had discovered club slash mentors early on. They would have helped me guide me in learning the art of slowing down to go faster, both training slash racing, both also signing up for races. The part that stuck out the most for me is discovered club slash mentors early on. I think it is so imperative to try with other people. I think mm -hmm. it makes your experience more enjoyable. I think you really can grow. It allows you to ask questions. Now, on the caveat, there are people who just don't ask questions, so they don't ever know. <laughs> Raise my hand, Mashonda. <laughs> don't learn things for seven years, and then you are at a USA triathlon event, and you're like, this is so new, and you're like, but it was there for you all along and you just didn't explore the opportunity. So tell me how discovering clubs or mentorships could have helped you guide your triathlon career in a different way. Yeah, I, I will. So um, it's interesting. I got involved with the FW Tri Club, Friends Who Tri Club based out in Fort Worth, right before Ironman Chattanooga. And honestly, the only reason why I joined that club is because they got early entries into Ironman Chattanooga. So I had no desire to be a part of a club or anything else. I was like, here's my name. Here's my 60 bucks. Give me that entry so I can go to Ironman Chattanooga, which was in the inaugural year. Um, but because I'm an extrovert and I love talking to people, I went to the first meeting after I signed up. And um, it was amazing because I got to meet, and I'm going to put that in air quotes for anybody who's just listening. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Bob Kalinsky, who just two years prior, while sitting under a tree at Ironman Arizona in 2012, met Bob Kalinsky for the first time. And for anybody who is looking for a positive, optimistic mentor, I'm going to suggest you find Bob Kalinsky on the internet and just talk to him. Anytime you ask him how he's doing, his answer without fail is, I'm doing freaking awesome. How are you? Like you never get, eh, eh, things are okay. Things are meh. He's always positive and optimistic. And so I met him in 2012 under a tree before we jumped into uh, Tempe Town Lake. And then I met him again at uh, the first meeting of the FW Tri Club that I attended. And that was a game changer for me. I went from being a guy who had no desire to be a member of a club to a guy who was on the board of directors to a guy who became vice president of the club, to a guy who became president of the club. And all along the way, um, training with those folks who had been to multiple Ironman events, who had finished multiple Ironman events, and just learning from them and seeing how they took care of their bodies and took care of their minds and enjoyed the sport, right? It wasn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a chore for them to get through these events. And it was fun. And you always had people to go and train with, which is great motivation, right? You don't want to let others down. Um, and through that club, I also got to meet um, 
pardon me as I get emotional here, but I, I met um, a gentleman by the name of Jeff Folks, and we called him Goat because you would could both be at the base of a hill on a bike. And by the time you got up there, he's already had three sandwiches, baked four cookies, and, you know, read a Bible verse by the time you got to the top because the guy could climb any mountain on any bike. And I had the good fortune of chasing goat all around North Texas for a number of years um, before he passed. And he just made me a better cyclist. He didn't let up on me. He would always be out in front and he would tease me catch up. Come on, let's go catch up. Come on, let's go. And he just made me a better cyclist. And so when I say find a club and find mentors, you got to do that because you're going to find people who are going to make you better at these sports, but also better people because they're going to infuse positivity and optimism and inspiration and motivation into you that if it works the way it's supposed to, it's a domino effect. So then you bring that to the next person behind you. And then they bring that to the next person behind them. And you just keep bringing that kind of uh, level of joy and love for the sport and for the people in the sport back to the top always. So yeah, I, had I found that to begin with, I probably would have avoided burnout from the beginning because I did have that. I've, I've gone through a couple of bouts of burnout because, hey, let's go race. I'm a super competitive person. Let's go race. Let's go race. Let's go race. Let's go race. And sometimes I'm my worst enemy when it comes to that. But they would have they would have helped me with that, um, without a doubt. And then just the the leadership and mentorship that they that both of those two gentlemen specifically provided me, invaluable, you, you, invaluable. So it looks like you know your FW tri group. You really earned an FWB friends with benefits because mm-hmm. the benefit was getting that early entry, and yet the benefit to them was they got a great leader in you. And you've grown Thank and you. now you are, you know, able to give back to others. So I think that was a win-win. Uh, that was a win-win partnership. And it's true. When you train together, you try better. And I think that's something that we uh, have to remember is that, you know, we're better when we are together and we try with others. And it just makes us better. Iron sharpens iron. You know, that's, you can't, that's right. you can't get sharp with a dull knife right? But if you have two sharp people, you definitely know that you're going places. All right. Well, I have enjoyed talking to you and we are coming up on our end. And here's our fun segment, some rapid fire questions that, you know, you won't have much time to answer, to answer these questions. So it has to be quick because I'm moving on to the next question. So if, you know, you know what to do, just whatever's the first that comes to your mind, don't overthink it. Try out the leads. We overthink things. Do not overthink these questions. All right. Favorite artist? Alicia Keys. Who inspires you? My mother. Favorite, po- favorite post-food workout? Mexico in the Texas heat and tacos. Fair. Audiobook, podcast, or music? Or silence when you train? Silence. Mm. Uh, what is uh, end of race treat? Beer, wine, water, or soda? Wait, wait, wait. Can we go back on that? <laughs> so if, this is not, you don't so tell I'm, me what to do with my rapid fire questions. <laughs> no, come on, come on, come on. Okay, so if, if I'm, if I'm running, it's in pure silence. If I'm running, it's in pure silence. If I'm on the bike trainer, then it's usually watching a show on Netflix. Okay. Fair. Fine, Jason. <sighs> okay. No, I'm just kidding. Um, are you a minimalist? a Goldilocks just right person or a kitchen sink slash space hoarder in your transition area? (laughs) I'm going to go with minimalist. Love it. And next thing, what favorite thing, what's your favorite thing about triathlon overall? Finish line celebrations. Bam. There it is. Ladies and gentlemen, it has been my pleasure and honor to ah, interview Mr. Jason Bahamundi. It has been such a joy. You have brought so much light and I want you to tell the people where they can find you. Uh, I would rather you find my business so that I can help other beginner athletes. And that's runtrymag.com and on all the social platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at runtrymag. There's lots of information for beginner athletes, but even if you're a veteran of the sport, you can always learn and relearn. So make sure you visit us as well. 
There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Run, try, mag. Go out and visit Mr. Jason's uh, business, support his business. And you see here there's synergy and there's room for everyone to do what they love and to encourage and inspire everybody. Thank you, Jason, for your time. I appreciate you. It has been a joy. Whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win. This is out for Mashonda. Thank you so much. And until next episode, keep trying. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We need your help so we can continue to try at TBL. So for more information on where you can find and subscribe to this podcast, visit www.trybeginnersluck.com. And don't forget, whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win.